Well, happy Sunday to you. We're going to wrap up our series, Worth It. Last week, we had a great response to those that were willing to serve and step up as we look at adding programming to our 9 o'clock. In a room this size, for those watching online, I'm sure there is a number of people that could say, hey, I have a hurt story from a local church. I've been hurt by the local church. Almost every adult I've talked to over the last 20 years, they have a hurt story. Uh, My first hurt story happened in the mid-90s. The church that I became a follower of Jesus in, the church that I felt a call to go to full-time ministry, uh, went through the ringer. So I spent the summers down here in Fredericksburg. Uh, I spent about five to six, seven weeks with my grandparents, and then I would go back when two-a-days started uh, for football. And so I would go back home, and I remember sometime during the school year, I remember my mom getting a phone call. She was visibly upset, and she says, hey, your grandparents need to talk to you. And so grandma and grandpa were on the phone, and they asked, did pastor so-and-so ever say anything to you, or did pastor so-and-so ever do anything to you? And I said, no, uh, like, like, what are you asking? And they're like, listen, we want you to know that uh, pastor so-and-so got fired because another pastor in the church found him looking at things on his computer that he shouldn't have been looking. And I'll let you guys connect the dots on all that. That was my first church hurt. It was almost 30 years ago. And yet I still love the local church, man. I still was connected into a local church. The local church is people. It's a group of people worshiping locally together. And as long as the church is made of people, they will be hurt. And I will argue this, that Jenny and I have had more hurt here in the last six years than anyone else in our church. That we experience more hurt than anyone else. But yet we still show up on a Sunday because we love the local church. The local church has helped way more than it has hurt. I can speak for that personally. It has helped me more than it has hurt me. And over the years, I've learned that there are things worth fighting for and there are things worth suffering for. And those two things would be our mission and our message. Those are two things that we're not going to be compromising. It's our mission and our message. Our message is the gospel. We want people to be introduced to following Jesus, not just to believe, but but to follow him. And And our mission is simple. It's to inspire people to follow Jesus by engaging them in the life and mission of our church. Maybe for some of us, uh, we've heard of intervention stories and we've heard of prevention stories or maybe the word that you grew up with is testimony. I remember as a kid, I felt like I was JV. I mean, I felt like I was like on the bench because church leaders and pastors would bring people in on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or even a Wednesday night and say, hey, we want to hear from so-and-so because they have such an incredible story. And the incredible story was like a bar to Bible testimony, right? It's a, bi- uh, it's a bar to Bible story where they did something really wrong, really evil. God saved them, God intervened, and their, their life is completely drastically changed. And it seems like that type of story, that type of testimony, the intervention testimony was more popular than the prevention testimony. And I, I felt like, man, that was like a, a, literally a JV I was kind of riding the bench like no one really wanted to hear my story. It wasn't until a Sunday school teacher who happened to be a mom and a grandma told me that my testimony is what she prays for for her grandkids because there's no guarantee everyone has an intervention story. 
For every intervention story or testimony, there are hundreds of stories of no redemption. And I'm sure, I'm unsure what story you have. Maybe for you, it's a soon-to-be redemption, right? You're kind of investigating Jesus. You're not quite sure he's everything he claimed to be. And I hope that you cross the line of faith because there's no life better than following Jesus. For others of us, we have an intervention story. We were going down one way. It was bad. It was messed up. And then we were intervened by God, had a complete 180. For others of us, like myself, we have a prevention story. And I hope that our local church has more and more prevention stories or testimonies. Today, I can imagine where I would be without the influence of the local church, without the people who invested in me. Like if I, if, if today, if everything that I gained through my involvement in church was suddenly removed from me, I would not be the person I am today. I would probably be a really good person, married to a good woman, uh, working hard to provide my family the best life money could buy because of my personality. I'm a perfectionist. I'm driven. Uh, for those who know the Enneagram, I'm a one with a wing two. Like I am driven. I am a perfectionist, Right? But thank goodness my life was interrupted because God prevented me from thinking that being a good, moral, hardworking person pursuing the things of this world would be enough. And so the church did four things that helped shape my life and save me from the unnecessary regret. Number one, the local church informed me of truth. Now my parents and grandparents did a great job modeling a moral code to live by. We had values, we had principles, we had rules to live by growing up. Like one of the rules they would tell us is, hey, make sure you leave something better than you found it. And that has stuck with me over the years. In fact, when Jenny and I go to a restaurant, and, and maybe she was raised the same way because we have sort of the same mindset, that we actually do the waitresses or waiters job for them. Uh, after we get done eating, we wipe down the table. Literally, we wipe down a table. Uh, <laughs> we put the dishes together, we put the silver on the dishes, we put the napkins sort of together. It makes her job super easy, and we still tip, and we still tip. It's the craziest thing. But these rules to live by stuck, have stuck in us, man. And even though I'm a rule follower, I'm still a natural skeptic. So I want to know why we had these rules to live by. And they would always tell me, well, Jesus says so, or... God wants us to. Guys, I believe there are many things that are true, but only one thing can be the truth. Only one thing can be the source for truth. Someone once said that all truth is God's truth. Now notice how God describes himself to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord. And any time we see the Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, that was God's covenant or his personal name with his people. He says, I'm a compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The Hebrew word for faithfulness is the word emet. Emet is where we get the word amen or that's truth. It's tied to being stable or reliable, not shifty, not, not, not saying one thing and doing another. It's not being bought for a price. And the Hebrews would usually refer to God as a rock, right? He's not going anywhere. He's very stable, very reliable. 
God's nature is truth. It's impossible for him to lie. I don't know if you ever watched the movie, but like the 80s and 90s were great decades. Um, I don't know if you watched the movie Liar, Liar uh, in, in the late 90s. Uh, I, listen, every time I recommend something or every time I reference something, I'm not recommending that to anybody. Now, Jenny told me all about the movie. <laughs> Kitty. Now, in the movie, it's a lawyer who couldn't help but tell the truth for a full day because of a wish his son made. No matter how hard he tried, he could not lie. For a day, it was in his nature, which made it impossible for him to lie. And that's God. It is impossible for God to lie. It's in his very nature. And as we live in a culture that is, hey, find your truth, or you get your truth, I'll get my truth. I begin to question different things, right? Maybe you find yourself questioning different things. Thankfully, we're able to go back to the source of truth, which is God and his word. And for some of us, man, because we love someone so much and they make a lifestyle decision, truth is still truth, regardless of how we feel about that person. We have a culture that is all about finding your truth. But God's like, I am the only source of truth. Uh, The local church instilled purpose in me. The local church taught me that I was created on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose, but not the purpose, right? I'm not the purpose. I was taught that God has a plan for me, that I should pray for God to show me his plan. And there have been times, listen, I would have preferred God to show someone else their plan because I, I thought I had it all figured out. Early on as a kid, I remember memorizing something that Jesus said. And he talks about purpose. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. In that time, a young man who wanted to be a student or rabbi would have to request it. And so they're approaching the rabbi and say, Listen, I, I want to be your student. And they would have to go sort of like through a process. And once they became a student, they were responsible for a few things. Carrying the baggage and the stuff of a rabbi. Preparing food to his liking. uh, Making sure that he had all his needs met. Meaning he would provide the rabbi money. Uh, A student could not contradict his rabbi in public. And then in response, here's what the rabbi would do. The rabbi would make sure that He is surpassing him in all knowledge of the Torah. uh, That he's emulating him. Jesus changed it up. He chose people who were not looking for him. The purpose for Jesus, he says, listen, I want you to follow me. I want you to copy me. I want you to duplicate or emulate me. His invitation was simple. It was follow me. It said it all, follow me. Not believe me, but follow me. Notice the first thing that Jesus mentions to his students. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Three years later, he says this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. The purpose that he has given us is to be disciple makers. 
Our purpose is His purpose. It's to share His message to others. Listen, we've been commissioned to Him to do that. This is our purpose, and our life ought to reflect that purpose. And here's what God's going to do. Our Heavenly Father is going to prune or cut back so that we can produce even more fruit. I think for some of us, we get trapped in discipleship as like a program. It's like, hey, let's grab a 500-page book, and you and I can meet every other Tuesday for coffee. And we got to get through it for a year because we have other people to, to, to go through it with too. It's actually more simple than that. Discipleship at its essence, at its core, is this. Follow me as I follow Jesus. It's having conversations with people you work with. It's having conversations at the dinner table with your kids. It's doing devotionals as a family. It's coming to small group. It's having other people in your life and you're like, hey, what's working for you as you follow Jesus? You're being spurred on. You're being encouraged to do things to grow your faith. It's about making one disciple at a time. Listen, this is our commission. This is our purpose as a church. Regardless of what we do for a living, this is what we are purposed to do. And so the local church not only provided me those things, it's provided me perspective. It's like gravity, man. Spiritual pride comes for you and it comes for me. Like if you and I are followers of Jesus for any amount of time, we are tempted with spiritual pride. Man, notice what Paul writes to the Romans turned followers of Jesus. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Don't be smug. Don't think that you're better than someone else. Listen, here's the deal. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. He's saying, listen, guys, the Jews missed their Messiah in Jesus. They missed him. You guys, the Greeks and the Romans, you've been invited to follow Jesus, make him Lord, and thousands and thousands and thousands of you said yes. But please, Do not get smug. Do not get conceited. Don't think that you're better than the Jews because you recognize Jesus as the Messiah when they rejected him. Guys, the local church taught me to fight against spiritual pride by having perspective that went beyond me and my spiritual walk in an America where my life is now threatened. My life is not on the line because I believe in Jesus. I was introduced to missionaries and and church planners who went into some cultures that did not welcome them. It helped me understand that my life was important, but no more important than the missionaries and church planners and those who were trying to reach other people all around the world. As a kid, I was able to grow my perspective, man. It helped me fight against spiritual pride as I saw more of the world than just my bubble. I learned that the church in America is not God's favorite. This is not the right way to do church. Just just so we're clear, this is one way to do church. I learned that God was doing so much more than just what he was doing in my life and within my local church. Man, when I was in seminary, man, I was able to rub shoulders uh, shoulders with, with students from oppressed nations. Like I remember James from Sudan where he could not even tell stories because of how painful because of the things that he saw, he could not even bring those up. 
George, who was from China, was part of the underground church. And both of those guys would tell us often, you don't know how good you have it here. You don't know how good you have it here. Blessings look so uh, much different to them than it did to me. A blessing to them was that they had a copy of the Bible. A blessing for us is that uh, it's 72 degrees in here at all times. It's crazy. Where our internet's not buffering. For them, it was that they had a copy of the Bible. For them, it was that they were able to get through a week of services without anyone breaking down the door. The local church modeled for me to live open-handed. It showed me how to live open-handed. It showed me that it was very important to live open-handed. And early on, I was taught the 10-10-80 plan. And that was you give 10, save 10, and live on 80. And my grandparents modeled that. They modeled tithing and saving. My aunt and uncle, they modeled um, how, to, how to invest long-term. And Jenny's parents did the same thing. And what began to happen is we went into our marriage with these instilled learned behaviors. And so we started doing this. And it has helped minimize arguing. It's minimized um, the tension in our marriage because of, uh, of these instilled behaviors. And there's a story in the Old Testament that predates the Mosaic Law, which is the law that ga- God gave to Moses for the people. And it shows that Abraham tithing to God's king and priest of Salem, Melchizedek. And this was a story that I learned as a kid, and it used to guide me to live open-handed. It says this, then Abraham, or Abram, gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham lived open-handed, recognizing his wealth came from God. Tithing was a way to worship God and honor God. And as we read about how he grew his flocks throughout Genesis, Abraham obviously understood how to create margin. Even in an agricultural economy, he understood how to save and reinvest, even before those terms were invented. Did you know there are over a hundred verses about giving? I think it's obvious that God desires for you and I to live open-handed. When we see Jesus throughout the New Testament, he lives open-handed to his Father's plan and purpose. And we've said this before, that we are the most like God when we give and we are the most like Jesus when we serve. Last week, we shared a need. As we're growing, we have some room at 9 o'clock to add some programming in order to offset how many people are attending at 10.30 so they can maybe attend 9 o'clock. And we need some, we, we, need, we've, we had an ask of more volunteers. So last week I asked you to engage with us meaningfully to ensure that this generation and the next would have a faith of their own. And I'm going to press it in again. And this may sting a little bit. I don't, I don't mean it to sting. I think it's just good for us to know and be aware of it. Most Christians are content to consume. Take what they need and show up when it's convenient. They will give only when the preacher pushes hard. They believe, but not to the point of following. The larger the church, the easier it is to slip in and out without ever getting involved. So here's the challenge. Don't be most Christians. Don't be most Christians. You're better than that. You know better than that. Let's be better than that. Everywhere we look, man, people are saying, well, the church in America is dying. Less people are attending church than ever before. And yes, that is true that less people are attending church than ever before. That is true. I'm not sure that it's dying as much as the church has lost its influence on the culture. 
without a doubt, culture is separating itself from God. Our culture is going the way of Europe and Canada, which means that the church will become less influential and more persecuted. Friends who have lived and planted in Canada, friends who have lived and planted in England have told me, we don't know how good we have it. We don't know how good we have it. That America really is slowly becoming separate from God and the church. And they have told me, man, don't let it happen. Fight for what you have. Support it. Show up for it. Once it's gone, it's hard to get it back. You are the church. You are our church. Like, I know everyone's busy. We're building this church with busy people, people who don't have time but make time. And perhaps it's time for you to do the same thing, to do for the generation, this upcoming generation, that someone did for you or you wish someone had done for you. It's time to commit to a plan for how you and I will support our church financially. And to those who've been carrying the load around here, giving and serving, can I just say thank you? Thank you. To those of you who show up, get what you can, head to the car. We owe that group of people a huge debt of gratitude. More importantly, you owe it to yourself and to your kids to join them to ensure that this church, our church, your church remains on mission and on message. This is an opportunity to do for others what others have done for you. They will continue to do for you whether you return the favor or not because they believe in the mission and the message. And we will always be here for you because we're committed to being the hands and feet of Jesus to the people in this community. So I want to leave us with one question. And this is the one question. Will you engage with us in a significant way with your time, with your resources to ensure that we maximize our potential in our, in our communities and we maximize our influence on the Big C Church? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful for the purpose that you give us. You've purposed us to be disciple makers. Father, I ask that you would help us get to a point where we just don't believe, but we are willing to follow. Father, thank you for the local church. It plays such an important role in everyone's life. And I ask that we would recognize that and that we would commit ourselves to our local church. Father, I ask that you would continue to provide us opportunities to have those spiritual conversations with people. Not forgetting our message. Our message is that without Jesus, we are hopeless. So Father, please remind us of our purpose. Remind us of the importance of the local church. In Jesus' name, amen.